This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Our scripture reading is the first 16 verses, 1 through 16 of Romans 2. I remind you at this point that as we consider the Heidelberg Catechism, there are three sections. The first section being about how great my sins and miseries are. The second being about how I might be delivered from my sins and miseries, and the third, how I show my gratitude to God for such a deliverance. The Heidelberg Catechism, I remind you of that at this point, follows the outline of the book of Romans. So the, the very outline is based on Scripture, and Romans has the same outline, chapters 1 through 3, Verse 20, 1 through 3, verse 20, is the first section on how great my sins and miseries are. Don't forget that as we read chapter 2. And then chapters 3, verse 21 through through 11. Through the end of chapter 11 is about our deliverance. And then from 12 to 16 through the end is about our gratitude. And now in the section on our sins and miseries, we find verses 1-16 through 16 of Romans 2. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judges them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, 
to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. We read that far in God's holy and inspired word. We turn now to the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in that first section on our sins and miseries in Lord's Day 4. Lord's Day 4 is the last Lord's Day in this first section. And it asks, Doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? And the answer should be very familiar to you because it is Essentially the same answer as the answer of number 6, question answer 6 in Lord's Day 3. Not at all, for God made man capable of performing it, but man by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience deprived himself and all his posterity of those gifts Will God suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished? By no means, but is terribly displeased with our original as well as actual sins and will punish them in His just judgment temporally and eternally. As He hath declared, and quoting from Galatians 3, verse 10, and Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Is not God then also merciful? God is indeed merciful, but also just. Therefore His justice requires that sin which is committed against the most high majesty of God be also punished with extreme, that is with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the sermon this morning is about the very unpopular and often denied doctrine of hell. Or the doctrine of God's just judgment and wrath. It is about the extreme, that is, the everlasting punishment of body and soul that we just read. 
It is about the just God as a consuming fire burning those who are sinners. That is the main teaching of Lord's Day 4, which we consider today. We ask at the outset, why preach hell? Why preach on such a doctrine that makes us tremble? That I tremble even as I preach it. What is the benefit of such a terrible doctrine? Well, one purpose that God would have His people hear this truth of hell and His wrath is so that God's people repent. In other words, as John the Baptist put it, so that they flee from the wrath to come. So that they're called, as Peter preached in Acts 2 verse 40, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Not, of course, meaning that they could of themselves gain salvation, but they were to repent, turn with their hearts to the only one who could save them. The doctrine of God's wrath is meant, you see, to strike terror in the hearts of those who are walking in unbelief, who are walking now in sin, so that they come to their senses and they seek salvation outside of themselves in Jesus Christ. Some of you are walking in impenitent sin. You're comfortable in it. You have an antinomian spirit, perhaps not a doctrine that you teach explicitly, but you feel as though it's okay to continue in sin and you plan to continue in it tomorrow. And the threat of God's wrath comes. Yes, the threat that you might desperately turn from sin to Jesus Christ. And see, your only hope of forgiveness and of sanctification, improvement in Him. Yes, the doctrine of hell is enjoined to the preaching of the gospel. As Paul puts it at the end of our scripture reading, verse 16, according to my gospel, the doctrine of hell is enjoined to the gospel as a means of grace to turn the heart of the impenitent. The second purpose of God is so that God's people might see the greatness of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Only in understanding the doctrine of hell, what you and I deserve, and even getting into the details of it, only then will you understand better the greatness of Jesus Christ and what He did through His life and on the cross. In other words, without the truth of hell, you cannot know the gospel. Remove the doctrine of hell from the church as some are doing in Christianity today and you will remove the gospel along with it. The reality of hell helps us value the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see that at the end of the sermon this morning. Why preach hell to turn the impenitent heart to magnify Christ's saving work? And finally, that God's people understand the seriousness 
of sin more. Even after we have repented, each one of us sitting here, even if we have come with repentant and believing hearts, we still don't see the greatness of our sins as much as we should. We, we tend to minimize our sins. We think of our sins as a trifle, as something small, a bad word here, a murmur there, gossip there, an angry, an angry thought that comes up here, a neglect of our spouse, and we tend to say it's not, not a big deal. It's small comparatively to what goes on out there. Thou that judges, Paul says in Romans 2, and doest the same things. He's talking about us. We tend to minimize our sins so that we see others but not our own. But when we see hell, when we see the just wrath of God and what Jesus had to endure in our place, then we realize better just how serious, just how bad sin really is. It is not a trifle. The just judgment of God is part of man's misery. Man's misery. That's what the catechism has been focusing on along with the first three chapters of Romans. Man's misery. I remind you that Lord's Day 2, Lord's Day 2 was about the fact of our misery, that we are totally depraved by nature, prone to hate. God says love in His law. With that law, there comes an exposure of our hateful hearts prone to hate God and our neighbor. Lord's Day 2 was about the fact of our misery. Lord's Day 3 was about the fault or the origin of that depravity. We saw last week it's not God's fault. It didn't come from God, this depravity. He did not create man so wicked and perverse. But it's man's fault. We saw it all the way starting in Adam, that first man, that head, but it's the best answer, my fault. And today, we move from the fact and the fault of misery to the fiery judgment that we deserve the penalty, the justice for sin. The just judgment of God, first the justice, second the extent, and finally the mercy. The justice, the extent of that justice as it ought to come against us, and then finally the mercy. To understand the the wrath of God, or to understand hell itself. We must first understand one of the characteristics or attributes of God. It is one of those attributes that is often minimized and forgotten even in the church world today and by us, according to our sinful natures. What the catechism does is it brings up this one attribute or characteristic of God 
that we need to remember and upholds this one attribute and characteristic of God. Children, do you see it? What is the one attribute or characteristic of God which the catechism upholds and mentions repeatedly to emphasize? Well, the word is justice. God's justice. That's His attribute or characteristic. It's who He is. He's the just God. He'll never compromise His justice. You see that in question 9. Does not God then do injustice? There's the word. Does not God do injustice to man? In answer 10, we read about God's just judgment. His just judgment. Temporally and eternally. And then in answer 11, notice, God is indeed merciful, but also just. Therefore, His justice requires, and so on. Here is the attribute of God that we must remember. God is a good God. And in His goodness, He is just. Romans 2 verse 2 gives us a description of His justice. Romans 2 verse 2 that we read, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to, we could say justice, but here is a description or even a definition for thou that according, according to truth against them which commit such things. His judgment is according to truth. There you find a synonym that Scripture often uses for justice. Truth. Truth. That God is just means that He does everything consistent with truth. He especially judges according to truth. So this God who makes the law that we read this morning in Exodus chapter 20, He makes demands of His creatures. When, when He made that law, the Ten Commandments, the other laws of Scripture, He was just. He made them according to truth. Perfect justice. And then when, when mankind breaks those laws, sins against those commandments, and, and God brings the consequences against those who breaks those laws, He's just. He, he does this according to truth. That's justice. Each of the three questions of Lord's Day 4 are challenges to God's justice. Remember we said last week that man with his sinful human nature has a tendency not only to point the finger at other people and blame others for my own sin. But man also, as he points outward, always points in some way upward to God to blame God for his own sin. And we see that in the questions again. Man challenges God and tries to compromise this character of God, his justice. In question 9 we find this question, Doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform? You hear the questioner 
implying that God is unfair. And so in question nine, the questioner, that's you and me by nature, we, we pretend that we're upholding justice. We're the just ones. And that God is being unfair, isn't he? That's the question. When he requires of us commandments which we are unable, we can't obey. And the answer is simple. The answer is the same answer, as I said, as answer six in Lord's Day 3. No, God had this law and He made man capable of obeying those commandments. He created man in His own image, after His likeness, able to obey all the Ten Commandments. And we in Adam threw away our ability to obey those commandments and rebelled against God. And just because we are unable to obey the commandments does not make God unjust in upholding His law. But that's not the main focus of this Lord's Day and Lord's Day 4. Lord's Day 4 is focusing us on what we find in question and answer 10 especially. Question and answer 10 brings up a second question against God's justice, to challenge God's justice. But significantly, you find the human heart flip-flopping here. This is according to our experience. In the previous question and answer, the human heart pretended to be the just one and to accuse God of injustice. The human heart thought, I'm going to uphold justice. But now in question 10, the human heart flip-flops and says, Why can't God be unjust? Why not let my disobedience and rebellion go unpunished? And the answer, by no means, God will not suffer such disobedience and rebellion to go unpunished, but is terribly displeased. You see, natural man wants God to wink at sin. You can feel that in yourself. We want God to ignore our disobedience. Just forgive. Even to be pleased with our sins. But that would be a compromise of God's justice. He is the just judge of heaven. And as the just judge of heaven, He must hold man to His law. And if man disobeys that law, God must punish man. Verse 6, Romans 2. He will render to every man according to his deeds. This is the goodness of God, the judge. It's not, it's, it's not that he is cruel. Sometimes that is an imagination that we come up with. A wrong view of God. That since he is the just judge who must punish sin, 
we think, we imagine a cruel God. No, this is part of His goodness. This is part of His virtuous character. And to help us understand that, children, think of someone who has committed a great crime against you, against your family. Perhaps a criminal has, has, has murdered one of your loved ones in your family. And imagine that this criminal goes to court and, and as he stands in, the, in a criminal box, you're in the audience and you listen to the judge and the judge looks at the criminal and he, and he says to the criminal, I know you've done this crime. You've, you've committed murder. But that's okay. I'm going to let you go this time. Just don't do it again. If you were sitting in the audience and you heard that declaration, that sentence, or lack of sentence by the judge, you would be overwhelmed by how unjust that judge was to you and regarding the crime of that criminal. You would say not only about that criminal, he is, he is wicked, but you would say that about the judge. It would be a virtuous judge, a good judge, to bring down his gavel, declare him guilty, and sentence that murderer to life in prison or to the death penalty, as God's word calls for. God is not a cruel person. He is a just judge who does just that against sin. The third question to answer challenges God's justice as well. He's a just God. But isn't He merciful? Is He also merciful? And what the, what the natural human heart attempts to do with that question is, is pit. Pit God's justice and His mercy against each other. As though they are somehow opposed. It says, if God is merciful, the human heart wants to say, then somehow that mercy needs to make His justice lesser. Weaken His justice. And so He should just let sin go in His mercy. That's a denial of the oneness or unity of God. It's a claim that God in His mercy would put aside His justice. But that would be to deny Himself. What the catechism does is upholds both God's justice and mercy so that neither oppose each other but are perfectly consistent. And the only way to do that, as we will see, is at the cross. But all of the challenges against God's justice are answered by the catechism. As the just God, He must bring just judgment against sin. And the one word that we focus in on now is wrath. God in His justice against sin brings wrath. Brings wrath against sinners. Verse 5 of chapter 2, Paul speaks to sinners, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous or just Judgment of God. You see that word treasurous, people of God? That word 
treasurous is often thought of as something positive. We store up for ourselves money in the bank. We store up for ourselves gold and silver in a treasure chest. But here we find it in the negative. As the world stores up for itself, and we sometimes with the world stores up treasures of this earth, we at the same time with our sins and idolatries store up for ourselves. Verse 5. Wrath. A load, not of gold or silver or of money or something pleasant. Paul describes as a load is about to unload. And that load is the load of God's wrath against our sin. And we daily increase our debt. The word wrath means anger. It means the heat of God against sin. Like the fire that was on Mount Sinai. Like the fire of of the burning bush. Like the fire that consumed Nadab and Abihu. Wrath is the fiery anger of God. He is terribly displeased, the catechism says, against sin. The idea of the word wrath brings to mind perhaps a a human face. And that's the Hebrew language. A, A face that is red. A face that is with flared nostrils and and with a, a heavy breathing like a raging bull. That's the picture of the word wrath in the in the Old Testament. But we qualify that quickly. Man's wrath has that picture. But God's wrath, though it has similarities to man's wrath, God's wrath is not man's. There's one major difference, and that is this. While man's wrath is an unstable emotion that that flares up and then dissipates, and flares up and dissipates, God's wrath is not unstable. It's not flaring up and then cooling down. You need to understand this, even as children of God, beloved. God's wrath is a constant. It is a constant, just, and holy attitude of opposition against sin. He is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. He will never stop. Again, that's not cruelty or meanness. That's His goodness as the just God. And in His wrath, He will punish the sin, not only, but the sinner. The sinner. For one sin. Remember the one sin that we already deserve this just wrath for? Adam's sin which we are to blame for. 
when Adam ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, his guilt is imputed to us. So even before we existed, we deserve this just wrath. That's original sin, which the catechism refers to in question and answer 10. He's justly displeased with our original sin. Original sin includes, remember, a sinful nature that is passed down, a totally depraved nature that is passed down in which we are conceived and born. And so in time, when as soon as we are conceived, we're not only to blame for Adam's fault, but we have, we have this own sinful nature of our own. And for that too, we deserve God's fiery, just wrath. And then the Catechism goes on to explain not only original guilt and original corruption, but we have actual sins. And actual sins are all the thoughts and all the words and all the deeds that come forth from our sinful natures. Our pride, our lust, our selfishness, our neglect and our marriage and toward our children, our, our accusations of others, our, our stubbornness and impenitence, which we have all continued in for some time. Our laziness, our sins of omission, which we often aren't even conscious of. For those millions and billions of actual sins that spew forth from our sinful nature, we deserve God's just wrath. And the familiar picture is that of a scale. That's the picture of justice. On, on that one side of the scale, the catechism is telling us Put all your original sin, guilt, total depraved nature, thoughts, words, deeds, actual sins. And justice is the balancing of the scale by placing upon the sinner and on the other side of the scale enough weight of God's just wrath for the satisfaction of sin. Verse 7. He's just to them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor, immortality, He will give what? Eternal life. And we might be prone feeling like we should claim that verse 7 is about us. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing we seek for God's glory and honor, and immortality means incorruption. To them, God and His justice will give eternal life. Romans 2 verse 7 says. Is that you? No. Verse 8 is you and me. But unto them that are contentious, that is self-seeking, and do not obey the truth, Notice, not just know the truth, do not know the truth, but obey the truth. 
living a life consistent with the doctrine, but rather obey unrighteousness. This is the justice of God, indignation and wrath. One sin deserves this just wrath. And we have many. We understand the justice of God better not, not by only looking at the multitude of sins. And even what kind of sins they are, and there are degrees of sins. There are some sins that are worse than others. There are. But we understand the depth and the greatness of our sins, especially by focusing not upon what the sin is, first of all, but rather against whom the sin is committed. That's what the catechism focuses our attention on. The last question to answer. God is indeed merciful, but also just. Therefore, His justice requires that sin which is committed against the most high majesty of God be also punished. Don't go about comparing your sins to other people when you're thinking about what you deserve, that will only minimize your sin. Think about what sin is and that it's committed against God. It is, remember, to hate God. Every sin, children, is to say to God, I hate you. That's how serious sin is. And because of that I hate you, every time we sin, the just wrath of God ought to come against us. To what extent? Extreme, the Catechism says, extreme with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. That word extreme has a negative connotation today. The word extreme is thought of sometimes as radical. Someone that is, someone who is exaggerating an issue. And there is such a thing. But when the Catechism uses the word extreme here, it is not talking about something negative. But the word extreme is better understood as supreme or of the highest degree. Because sin is against the most high majesty of God, it deserves, you deserve, and I deserve the highest degree, the supreme punishment. That's justice. Simply put, sin is against the eternal God. So it deserves eternal punishment. 
And the most terrifying of this extreme punishment, though not the only one, but the most terrifying of this extreme punishment is first hell in body and soul at the end. And the last day. Yes, hell is a place. It's a place outside of the dimension of earth and this space but it is a place, a real place nevertheless. A place where God will bring His consuming fire against sinners, both upon their soul and upon their body. Romans 2 verse 5 speaks of the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The wrath of God is not experienced and felt to the fullest extent now, but one day... One day, that load of wrath will fall in upon man, the sinner. Marvel not at this, Jesus said in John 5, the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Soon and very soon, hell is coming when Jesus returns. Hell to both soul and body. The Scripture gives the most awful descriptions in picturesque form to describe hell. It is a lake. Think Lake Michigan. But now a lake of fire, not water. It is a pit of darkness that is a deep, pit of mire in which darkness so presses in upon you it tortures you. It is such pain that there is a gnashing of teeth, a grinding of the teeth. It is where the worm never dies as it eats you. And those pictures are pictures which doesn't mean that the reality is lesser, but rather the opposite. It means that the reality of hell is worse than the picture. The just wrath of God in body and soul is far greater than the human mind can comprehend. There are those who believe that The human body and soul, yes, will maybe face some sort of temporary suffering. But then there will be something called annihilation that's becoming more popular today. Annihilation. That is that the human will, after suffering for a while, cease to exist. And the end of his existence means the end of his suffering. But that again would be a compromise of God's justice. Sin committed against the infinite God deserves infinite punishment. Not temporarily, but eternally. And more, it would be, the, it would be a denial of many passages in Scripture that speaks of the forever or the everlasting punishment that many will suffer. 
in contrast to the everlasting life which God's people will receive. But as much as mankind denies it, and they can come up even with proof texts to somehow argue that hell is not real or it will be temporary, as much as mankind tries to forget it, I don't have to prove hell. And you don't have to prove hell. The human soul has a conscience that God makes sure to use so that every human being knows and trembles inwardly, even if not outwardly, that God is just and will punish sin eternally. The second point about the extent, the first was eternal punishment, body and soul in hell. The second is about that which comes at death. This is what the sinner deserves. Death itself is the judgment of God. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. What the sinner deserves is the just wrath of God is that death comes as an enemy. God brings death as an enemy to take the body and soul, to separate soul and body, and then to bring that soul down to hell immediately because death is not a one-time event. But death is an ongoing enemy that presses in upon the soul forever. Tribulation, verse 9, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil. Which brings us to the third point about the extent not only will hell come at the end, not only death, an eternal death to the soul, at the point of physical death. But wrath is upon the sinner now. Catechism says God will punish. The second question, the answer, answer 10, God will punish them in His just judgment. And that word temporally is important. Temporally. Not temporarily, but temporally, meaning in time. First Peter 3, verse 12, The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Remember we said earlier, God's wrath is not like man's. It is constant. It is a consuming fire even now. So that when man does not feel it all the time, it still continues. And children, the best, the best way that I can think of to explain that is from the perspective of one who is a child of God like you. And the precious promise of Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good. 
but for the sinner. And this is what we deserve. As the just judgment and wrath of God, the opposite is true. That all things, we even know, work for evil, for our curse, for our destruction. And God is no respecter of persons. That's Romans 2, verse 11. That is, He is not a respecter of faces. He's not like that judge who takes bribes, who looks at your outward appearance and judges you based on what you look like outwardly. He says, oh, since, since you are since you are a Jew, there will not be as harsh of a, a sentence. No. Since you are a Protestant Reformed member, there will be not as harsh of a sentence. No. Since you are an office bearer, a minister, there will be not as harsh of a sentence. No. Since you have a certain last name and are in a family, no, he's not a respecter of persons. Rely not on your externals. Rely not on yourself. Rely not on your church. Rely not on your doctrines. Rely not on your faith itself. And even this. Rely not on your repentance. But in Jesus alone. Is not God then also merciful? That's the third question of the catechism. Although we said it does come as a challenge, the catechism acknowledges the truth. Indeed, God is indeed merciful. His mercy cannot compromise or weaken His justice. And neither can His justice weaken His mercy. But both attributes of God, justice and mercy, are perfect, full, strong, belonging to God and to Jesus Christ. The just God Unchangeably just as a consuming fire against sinners. So merciful. That He gave His own Son. To take the curse. To take the entirety of this wrath, this punishment in our place. God Himself, the second person of the Trinity, took on Him our human flesh, united Himself to our body and to our soul while remaining God. 
that he might with his Godhead uphold his human body and soul to suffer the infinite that is the extreme, the intense, the supreme, the highest degree of God's wrath so that our human minds cannot even comprehend the half of which he suffered. Father poured upon the Son, emptied upon the Son, the dregs of that cup of wrath. Oh, if it were possible, he said, to save my sheep, take this cup. It's horror. It's heat. It's consuming fire. It's extreme punishment of body and soul. Take it from me. This hell. This worms. This gnashing of teeth. This darkness. If it be possible. But lo, it was not possible. Because sin is that bad. It is that serious. And justice demands, not cruelty, but the goodness and severity of God demands that man suffers. And so in astounding mercy, for us least deserving, the Son of God voluntarily voluntarily took upon Himself the just wrath of God and served the sentence. Finished it. And at the cross, justice and mercy kissed Righteousness and grace embraced. And you see no weakening of justice or mercy. But the powerful God of justice and mercy revealing Himself to you, sinners, in Jesus Christ. Beloved, next time you stand at the crossroads of sin, should I should I go go ahead and do that which I want to or desire to? Or should I immediately repent and turn? Think Think about this. Think about hell. Think about what Jesus endured. Think about agony. Think about the bloody drops of sweat pressed out of Him. And that cry, which I cannot express as He did, My God. My God. Why? Has thou forsaken me?
don't sin. Repent of your sin. As you gaze upon his mercy and his justice upon Jesus Christ. And thereby he not only as the Savior earned for us escape from hell but deliverance unto eternal life. Not only from death as a punishment, but unto death as a passageway for our soul to glory. Not only from the depths, the pit of hell, but unto the heights of heaven before the face of God. Not only from the wrath of God which ought to be against us so that all things work for our destruction, but unto God's favor and friendship so that all things work for our advantage. This is mercy. This is justice. Believe this gospel. Believe this God. Trust in Him. This is the only true God. This is the only Savior. Stand in awe of Him because there is none like Him. Amen. Let's pray. O God, of perfect justice and tender mercy, astonish us again with Thy glorious attributes revealed in Thy Word. Cause us to see Thy justice and mercy gloriously displayed in Jesus Christ on the cross. Cause us to value the doctrine of hell, to understand Thy severity and Thy goodness, the intensity of Thy wrath, which Jesus took, so that we hate sin, repent of sin, and cling to the cross. Open our hearts in Thy grace, so that we are softened and use the doctrine of hell and the gospel of grace as a means to turn the heart of those who have continued in sin for a while, bring true repentance and strengthen our faith and increase our love for Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hope prchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.